Thank you, Lord. Let's all stand. It's going to be a good day in the house of the Lord. Amen. The Lord has great things for us today. And the Lord is great. So let us come into his presence. Be intentional. Put away distractions. Lift up all things to him. And look to him. Focus our eyes on Jesus this morning as we gather together. And I want to let you know that I am blessed by you, by your presence here. And it matters that you are here this morning. It matters that you are here because you are part of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ would not be the same without you. So let us take up the charge to be his body. We are his body. And we just lift him up this morning. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. We praise your name, Lord. Not just for your might, but your goodness, your grace, and your mercy, Father God, that you are the God who sees. And you lift it up, all of us, Lord, out of the grave, out of the miry pit, Father God, and you have lifted us up, Lord, to abundant life, walking in your spirit, Lord, Father God. Teach us how to do that more and more and more, Father God, not just when we gather, but encourage us, charge us, exhort us, Father God, transform us so that when we leave this place, we leave changed and we leave as a change agent for all those around us throughout the week, wherever we go, Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the truth of your word, Lord, Father God, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's lift our voices, lift our bodies to him this morning and express ourselves in his worship this morning. Express our worship in every part of us this morning, for he is worthy. If you need to come up here and praise and worship, feel free to do so. I invite you to enjoy his freedom this morning as you worship him. He is worthy, amen.
of his people and how effective our true praise and worship is, you would not stop worshiping one moment of your life. So Father God, give us new revelation of what is happening in the spiritual realm, Lord Father God. But first and foremost, let us trust you in the words that you've already written to us, Father God, in your word. For that is truth, and you've already shown us. You've already shown us. It's written down. The spiritual warfare that is happening. 
and the power that you have allowed us to grasp by the power of your Holy Spirit and by trusting in you, Father God, and trusting on your word and taking steps of faith, Lord, Father God, to step out and to believe that what you say is true, Father God. So let praise be our weapon, Father God. Let belief be our weapon this morning, Father God. We trust you, Lord. We trust you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to continue to praise him and declare the truth of what he's won for us so that we may live in the overflow, supernatural power flowing through us daily. Your spirit falls. 
within me. Holy Spirit, I walk with you. I walk with you. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Pour it out, pour it out. You desire to fill us, move in us. We thank you, Lord, and we receive you. We thank you, Lord, and we receive you. Fill us up, fill us up, Holy Spirit. We increase our appetite for you. We increase our appetite for you. We increase our capacity to receive. Sing Amazing God. Greater things, 
It is time greater things. It is time greater things. We're hungry for more of you. We're hungry for more of you. We want more. We want more of you. Hungry I come to you for I know you satisfy. again hungry hungry I come to you for I know you satisfy
you to make you to be aware of his presence so many times we walk out our life with the physical realm as our priority we walk around as if what's going on in the physical realm is the most important and we miss that there is a spiritual realm that there's a battlefield. Yes. There is a battlefield going on. And we can get so distracted, so filled with this physical realm that we're totally oblivious to what's going on, to what's really going on. See, the enemy wants you to be so focused on the physical realm that you don't recognize what he's doing in the spirit realm, which is creating destruction, which is creating the kill, steal, and destroy in our world and in our culture. And we run after the physical things to keep us filled. Oh, I'm hungry. What are you hungry for? What are you filled? Well, I'm just not getting it today. Maybe you're not hungry for him. Because you're so filled with the world. You're so filled with all the distractions that the enemy is counting on you being filled with. Let me say this. You know, when I came back from Poland, I came back to unjam the paper shredder. If you remember the story, I had a paper shredder that I had jammed before I went on my ministry trip to Poland and the Lord used it as an example as an illustration and he continues to do that to say things have changed you see people I don't know if you realize it but we're in a war it's not we're not playing with play-doh we're not playing, tinkering around with pretend stuff here. That there is a battle going on. And it's fierce. The enemy is not playing around. And his target, I'm going to be so real with you. From now till I die, till I'm no longer your pastor, till whatever happens to me. The enemy's target is the people of God. Why? Because the people of God are his only, uh, his only uh, people in the earth that can defeat him. Because we have Christ in us who's defeated him. So he wants to make you compromised. 
He wants you so badly to be filled with other things so that you walk out your faith very weak and compromised. And the Lord spoke to me this morning. Actually, Pastor David and I, we had a quick trip to Texas. I mean, it was a quick trip to Texas for a baby shower for my niece, Charlene. Many of you know her, her situation. So we came back late last night. I went to bed. I even admitted I didn't even take a shower. Okay, so if you smell a little plain on me, I'm sorry. Okay, we're keeping it real. Take a shower later. All right, because it's more important that I was with him than in the shower. You can be with him in the shower, but I needed to pray. And this is what the Lord said to me. And it shook me. And I'm going to say this last week. The Holy Spirit has shook me. He shook me really hard, revealing some things. And next Sunday, don't miss it because there are, you're going to get shook too. But this is just a little portion of it right now because the Lord wants me to say this. Some of us are running interference for the enemy. All you sports people know what that means. Running interference because we're actually partnering through compromise. You know what it's like. You know, many of you coaches here, we have people who coach football or whatever, soccer it could be. And it's like when a one of the people on the field, one of the team members gets confused. You remember kids get confused or disoriented and they start running towards the wrong goal. Have you ever seen that happen? They make a touchdown for the opposite team. You know what I'm saying? They kick the ball into the net. You know what we're saying? We're all going, go back! And they think we're cheering them on. You know what I'm saying? Because they're confused. Because they're disoriented. Because they're not listening to their coach. And this is the picture that the Lord gave to me. That some of us, because we're not in the Word, because we're not in prayer, we run out our life confused and disoriented because the world is shouting at us. And we're actually running interference. You're not going to like this word. I'm going to tell you, but it's, gonna, it's a true word. Because this, we're a muscle church. I'm not playing here. I'm telling you, we're in a war here. You're in a war for your children. You're in a war for your families. You're in a war for your loved ones. You're in a war. Yeah. And the enemy isn't playing nice. And he's not even hiding behind anything. He's coming out displaying all of his junk and people are bowing to worship it and we are the people of light you are the people of light you are the salt of the earth you are the people of uncompromised truth according to Colossians 2.15 disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of the principalities and powers that are at work in the world he actually disarmed them what does that mean to disarm? he disconnected their power 
That's what disarming is. And then he paraded them behind him saying, listen, I have disarmed them. Why did he do it? For us. However, we can then reconnect through our compromise, through our worship of other things. See, when we agree with the lie, even partially, when we agree even partially with deception, it's compromise. Oh, I don't want to feel uncomfortable at Thanksgiving. I don't want to feel uncomfortable with my coworkers. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. You know what? Yes, we're people of love. Yes, we're people of grace. Yes, we're people of peace. But we're also people of truth. And we're also people of uncompromised truth. And there are times and there are moments and there will be moments in your life where you're going to choose between Jesus and your friends. You're going to have to choose who you're going to agree with because the person wants you to agree with them and they have a compromised, compromised view. They have deception and they're hungering for you to agree with them. And you know what the word agreement means? Covenant. To covenant make with them. Make a covenant. You know, God takes covenant seriously. You know, we speak, you know, there's life and death in the power of our tongue. We're a prophetic house. We say all of these things. Well, I'm going to tell you, it boils down to whether I'm agreeing with deception or not. It boils down to how we live in our daily lives, not just when we're in a prophetic circle. You say, well, it's uncomfortable. I like to be liked. Some of us, we run after favor with man first over favor with God first. This is the problem of the church in the West is that we run after favor with man. How many people can I get if I lower the standard enough? And that's not Jesus. And in the sense, we're choosing ourselves. We're choosing accommodation. We're choosing harboring yeah. sin to make it comfortable. That's right. Even sin in our own lives. You know what? When, I, when the Lord was giving me this word, it's like, Lord, I don't really want to talk about this. I want to talk about happy. I want to talk about blessed. I want to talk about fruitful. And the Lord says foundational to all of that is my righteousness and this is what he said to me in scripture he reminded me of a story and he said ask the people ask them are we betraying Christ so that we can warm our hands by the fire of this world what are you talking about, Pastor Lynn? Peter. Remember Peter? Remember Peter? He walked with Jesus. By the power.
power of Christ and being identified with Christ. He laid hands on the sick and they recovered. He was sent out. He saw the miracles. He saw the transfiguration. He saw the great things. He's the one that declared you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It was him. And yet, when the pressure was on, when he was in the minority, when he was fearful of human rejection, he wanted to warm his hands by the fire of the world. Are we afraid of being in the minority? Are you afraid of being in the minority? And therefore, in the moment, you compromise. You take on whatever the world wants you to become in that moment. You become like them because you're so afraid of rejection. See, we are to walk in the truth. And you know, the story with Peter, if you remember it, in Matthew chapter 26, Peter was the one before Jesus goes to Gethsemane and all the disciples actually go with him to Gethsemane. He's the one that tells Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the other disciples say, said the same, according to the scripture. But Peter, when the pressure was on, disowned him quite quickly, didn't he? It's interesting if you read that scripture, and I'm not going to read it all. You can read it. It's in Matthew 26. But Jesus goes to Gethsemane, and the problem that he has in Gethsemane, besides the heaviness that he's going to take on the sins of the world. The problem that he has is the disciples cannot pray. They cannot pray in his darkest hour. He's only asking them to pray. And every time they're asleep, they're asleep, they're asleep, they're asleep. And then... Jesus is taken to be convicted to go to the cross and then we hear the story of Peter we know later Jesus restores Peter we know but what makes the difference is this that Jesus indicated to his disciples you need to be people of prayer if you're going to face things. And Peter displays later on the day of Pentecost that when he's filled with the Holy Spirit and fire, he can stand up against people. He can speak the word with boldness. He can, and later on in the book of Acts, go to prison. And rest and risk his life and later in his life he even does risk his life and gives his life being crucified upside down because he's a man filled with the Holy Spirit but the truth is this you say well that's the scriptures of old I'm telling you people this is today this is today some of us are running interference for sin that we accommodate sin, that we accommodate things, 
that are in our world, in our life, in our family, in our lives. And the Lord says no more. No more accommodation because when you accommodate what's going to happen, you think it's peacemake. It's not peacemake. It's going to lead to destruction. Let me say one more example. Abraham, the father of the faith, Abram at the time. His name was Abram. You know the story of Lot. You know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But the story is such that Abram wants the city to be saved. So he's running some interference here. He's saying to God, oh, if only 50 people. Remember, he does the whole numbers thing with God. If 50, if 40, he keeps going down the numbers game, running, running interference with Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes down to 10, 10 people. And then God says, okay, if only 10 are righteous in that city, I will preserve it. But as we know, not even 10 were righteous. And the only ones that escaped were Lot and his two daughters. That's it, Lot and his two daughters. They escaped. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. And even now, if you go to that place, it's barren. But let me say something about running that interference. If you know what happens to Lot and his daughters, the ones that he ran interference for, the ones that Abram ran interference for, if you know the story, there's incest between Lot and his daughters, both their do his daughters. And out of that incest comes children and comes a people. The first daughter, it's Moab. Moab, the people of Moab are created. The second daughter, the Amorites are created. That people group. But did you know, let me tell you something. You know the God that Moab served? It was a God that required human sacrifice. So the result of the interference was generations would be destroyed. You know the second daughter, the Amorites, you know what the God that they served? The God of child sacrifice, Molech. You see, when we run interference for sin, we partner with principalities. Oh, Pastor Lynn, this is not going to be popular on our public sector. It's not. But it's the truth. Yes. And if we're going to be a muscle church that makes a difference in the earth, we're going to know the truth. And we're going to know where we stand with the truth. And we're going to know that we have the power to do what Jesus told us to do to destroy the works yeah. of the enemy. Yeah. But we cannot run interference for the enemy by compromise. Right now, I want you to stand. You say, well, what's the answer? That's a dire thing. I told you the answer. The answer is what Peter found to be the answer, that I'm going to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I'm not going to be filled with other things. I'm going to be filled with Jesus. I'm going to be filled with the spirit of truth. Some of you, you know what? I, you know, I really feel like this. I know it is. A season of what we call the clarion call. That you're hearing the word. 
When you hear the word, you're responsible for it. You can ignore it. You can turn a deaf ear to it. You can go out and try to pick it apart. But this is the word of the Lord. I am confident. I am confident that this is the word of the Lord for this generation. It's time to arise, but we can't arise compromised. We can't arise with an idol hidden in our pockets. We can't arise worshiping other things. We've got to arise. It's time for the church to arise. Some of us are running out. Well, let's get rid of this symptom of sin in the world. This, but you know what? We've got to go to the core. And the core is the spiritual lives of people. That's where it's all about. Is that people need to bow their to Jesus and it starts with the people of God some of us are bowing our need we're not falling on our faces we're not emptying ourselves of other stuff and saying fill me Lord 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 Lord. I need to walk in your power I need to walk in your power you want signs you want wonders you want miracles you want healing you want provision fall on your knees be filled with the spirit it's a clarion call he's crying out to us the holy spirit behold i stand at the door of the church behold i stand at the door of the church behold i stand at the door of the church and i knock i knock on your heart's door i knock on your heart's door i knock on your heart's door let me in let me in let me play church I don't want to be all I come on Sunday every once in a while we're not a religion we're in a relationship with the most high God too much playing church too much performance too much boxed up Christianity we're in a war people between heaven and earth and we are his delegates filled with his power filled with his authority fill us lord fill us lord shake us lord break break us lord break the hardened heart Break the the thought life that's proud. Break us, Lord. Break us, Lord. Break us, Lord. To glorify you. To glorify you. To glorify you, Lord.
great divide the great divide Jesus. follower of Jesus some of you think you don't have to choose you're wrong you do have to choose Jesus. I've been with people who had to choose and I've been with people who chose to walk away An oak of righteousness. An oak of righteousness. When the winds come, I am not destroyed. I stand strong because I'm an oak of righteousness. Filled with you, filled with you, filled with you. Filled with your Holy Spirit. Filled with your fire. Filled with your love. Filled with your peace, filled with your faith, filled with victory. I'm falling on my knees. I'm falling on my knees, Lord. I surrender to you, Lord. I surrender. I surrender. 
other things, we leave a spiritual vacuum that other things step into. The authority that we have, we step away from because we step outside of being in agreement and covenant with his truth, with his word. And some of us, I'm just, some of us, the Lord has given us authority. Well, all of us, the Lord has given us authority, but some of us have authority in realms in our family, in our business, in our neighborhood, wherever that the Lord has placed us in positions of authority that he expects us to stand for him with him. With our children, with our adult children, with our teenagers, with our extended family, you put it in there. And when we step outside of covenant or agreement or compromise, when we agree with partial truth, when we look away, when sin is happening, we are opening up the door for something else to step in to have spiritual authority. And I know it's challenging. I know that it's hard. But I also know 
that it's rewarding because in that you become the oak of righteousness that he has told you you are to be. Holy Spirit, you are a purifier. And it's not for our harm, but it's for our good. It's not for our rejection, but it's for our embrace. It's not for us to be weak spiritually, but actually strong spiritually. It's not for us to be blind, but actually walk in the truth, walk with discernment, walk with our having the eyes of Jesus in our lives. Lord, we surrender to you today. Surrender to you. In your precious name. Amen. I want you to be seated. I think I'm just going to not go through the, the save some time for Pastor David. I'm not going to do... <laughs> Oh, he has plenty of time. He'll have a good 45 minutes. So. <laughs> We're not going to go through the announcements today. I want to ushers just come forward, give. I'm going to pray and then let Pastor David have Pastor David come up. He has a good word for us that has everything to do with what the Holy Spirit's speaking. Ushers, come forward, please. Let's bow our heads, Lord. If we feel a little jolted, and I mean not jilted, jolted, <laughs> like electrical jolt. Lord, if we feel that that is you and your glory filling us, we are not afraid, Lord, of your glory. We want your glory, Lord. We want your glory here in this house as we gather together in our personal lives, wherever you have assigned us to go. Lord, we give to you our lives and our resources, our funds, our money is just a portion, Lord, of all that we have that we give to you, Lord, in your name. Amen. God bless you. Come again. Let the glory in I'm open I'm open Come again Let the glory in I'm open I'm open thing I want to say is um, Wednesday night we want to invite you all to our Thanksgiving dinner I've got some really bad feedback Randy um, all right who uh, that must be Michael rubbing in the Penn State defeat <laughs> AJ good job buddy proud of you over there wearing your Penn State jersey I gave you Hey, I just want to encourage you, uh, uh, Wednesday evening, we're going to be having a, a meal together. And I don't know what's, that's really bothering me, Randy. I don't know what it is. 
here. Is that better? Okay, I'll keep this up here just in case. Um, but it's going to be a good time of fellowship. You know, part of the body of Christ getting together is to fellowship with one another and to encourage one another, uh, strengthen each other day by day, you know? Well, a couple weeks ago, it was actually uh, two weeks ago, the Lord gave me this message. And uh, it was funny because... When the Lord gave me this message, I didn't realize that we had just given our granddaughter a sloth. How many of you know what a sloth is? I think we have a picture of that, Pastor Nick. Uh, isn't he adorable? Uh, we gave our granddaughter, not a real sloth, we gave her a stuffy. She's got uh, probably more stuffed animals than most stores do. Um, but, you know, as grandparents, you don't really care. You just keep burying them with gifts, you know. And the sloth is an interesting creature because it, it actually lives in the, the trees of South America. And uh, it basically is like, uh, you know, when you think of the term sloth, you think of someone that doesn't have a lot of energy. A sloth only moves about 40 yards a day, not 40 neighborhood yards, like 40 yards, like, you know, half the distance of a football field. And they basically live in the trees. They sleep a lot. They don't do a lot. They... They, they spend between 15 and 20 hours a day sleeping. Anyone identify? Don't raise your hand. You're probably asleep if you do. But I was thinking about this because in, when we talk about someone that's slothful, we talk about someone that's lazy, someone that is tired, doesn't have a lot of energy, and it may be because of... Uh, I'm going to use this mic, Randy. A sloth is, uh, is lazy and doesn't have a lot of energy. And I was thinking about this because, you know, when you read even in literature, literature talks about this. You know, a lot of, if you go, if any of you had any classes in college or high school where you've read uh, Dante's The Divine Inferno, he talks about the, or Divine Comedy, rather, uh, he talks about the issues of what is slothfulness. And he listed as one of the seven deadly sins. And it's interesting because I think he has a, a good grasp of what the concept of being slothful is. It's, it's laziness to the second power. It's not just being tired. You know, if you, you do a good hard day of work, you're tired, right? If you, you're, you're involved in something very emotional that is draining you and sucking energy out of you, you can be tired. But there's a difference between being tired and being slothful. Do you hear me? And the difference is that one is actually, it is an intense lack of interest in anything. And as a believer, one of the things that concerns me, this is one of the things that, you know, you may or may not know this about your pastors, but we have relationship with people all over the world. And uh, I was talking to our, 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 our pastor in Poland recently. We've been talking to pastors in Bangladesh. We've been talking to pastors in India. And there is a common thread that we're seeing globally. Christians are becoming lazy. And lazy to the point where they don't want to do what God's asked them to do. And I tell you what, I don't want our church to be that kind of church. You know, I have a passage of Scripture that I didn't include in the PowerPoint. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Because this is the era we're living in. And this is what the Apostle Paul tells young Timothy, his protege in ministry. 
He says to him, Timothy, there's going to be a time where there are going to be people that are not going to live the life of faith that I've taught you to live. And he says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, he says this, but mark this. Okay, that's an attention thing, right? 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Pause right there. Who is Paul telling Timothy these people will be? Are they people inside the church? Yeah. You know, he's saying that there will be people who claim to be followers of Christ that are living a lifestyle that is totally contrary to what Scripture teaches. And I don't know about you, but I read stuff weekly in the news about people that are supposed to be people of faith that are living this kind of life. And it tears my heart out as a pastor because what does it do? Well, if that pastor can live that way, why can't I live that way? If that pastor is going to be that way, you know, that's one of the things that the concerns I have when we, we follow people, we don't know their life and doctrine. You know? We, we get enamored by some celebrity or some person that goes out and tells us how to live, but we don't know how they're living. You know? That's, how, that's why community is so important. That's why us being together on a regular basis. Because, you know, if I see something jacked up in your life, Aaron, I could say something to you because I know it. And if you see something jacked up in my life, you can say it because you know me. But when you have this, oh, this so-and-so, you never question. And I'm, I'm challenging us as a body. We, we, one of the things that we want to do is we want to raise up strong men and women of faith. And there's a difference between an oak of righteousness and a baby of balsa wood. Any of you that have fireplaces, how many of you want me to bring you a cord of balsa wood? You know, balsa wood's like paper. It's very light. burns up pretty quick. If you put an oak log in and a balsa log in, the balsa log will be gone in no time, but the oak log will be burning for hours. We want you to be strong in your faith. And that's why we're challenging you with this whole series of, of things that get in the way. There are things, you know, so many times we think things are exterior to get in the way. But really, it's a lot of times the things in our own life, the lack of discipline that we don't have, the inconsistency of our walk with the Lord, our, our failure to really plug into what, what Scripture says. You know, the, Solomon is interesting in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18. He says these words. Listen to this. Through laziness, the rafters sag, because of the idle hands, the house leaks. Hmm. Any of you ever have a main rafter in your house break? My next door neighbor, he's a Dodgers fan. This is why it happened to him. Uh, in his garage, <laughs> in his garage, his main support rafter of his garage was, was uh, cracked. It was, it was sagging. And he, he come over and he says, you know, hey, can you come here and look at this for me? What do you think? Is this, do you look like, does this look like it's sagging? And it's like, well, it's a little bit U-shaped. Yeah, I think it is, you know. And uh, he had to actually replace the entire beam 
because the structural integrity of his garage was compromised. You know, when you're lazy, your structural integrity is compromised. Your spiritual structural integrity is compromised. Because what Scripture says is, you know, it says your house is begin, it, it, it leaks, it rocks. And look what Jesus says in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. He says, this is where he's talking to the, 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 uh, uh, his disciples, and he says this. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. This is the parables he's talking about. So you know that I have a harvest where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. He says, hey, don't you understand that you know this about me, but you're not living this way. You're lazy. We're not called to be lazy. We're called to be obedient. We're called to be faithful. We're called to be consistent. And one of the things that happens to us when we have this spirit of sloth, it's, it's like, well, does it really matter? You know, does it really matter if I'm consistent with my lifestyle at home? You know, because, you know, I go to church and I'm really like crazy riled up for God, but at home I don't really give a rip. You know, let me tell you something. Your spiritual lifestyle by your family is more caught than it is taught. Your children will learn more by watching your behavior than they will by seeing you stand up and do something crazy for God in a church service. We are called to be consistent. We're called to, to be the same everywhere we go. And that, that, that challenge is what comes out of who we are. You know, it's interesting, years ago, uh, there was a guy named Max Weber. Max Weber was a, a, a German sociologist, and he talked about uh, the whole concept of what, what was referred to as the Protestant work ethic. And the Protestant work ethic was ingrained in culture in, in the last century, in the beginning part of this century, where it was believed that because of your Christian faith, you would work hard and be a good steward and a good manager of your time and resources. And, and it's interesting because, you know, there are some things about it that, you know, kind of got torqued out of, out of condition and out of, out, of, out of alignment. But the reality was this. There was a correlation between being a follower of Christ and working hard. And yet, we live in a culture today where America is basically a post-Christian society. Whether you want to admit that or not, but according to what Scripture says and how we are living, we are on the same trajectory as Europe is. You know, and, and my challenge as a pastor is to hold your feet to the spiritual fire so that you become the strong men and women of faith that God wants you to be. Because you're, you're, we're going against a tide that is very strong, and you have to be as strong or stronger than the tide, or else you're going to be pushed backwards. And I'm challenging you as men and women of faith to not settle for a mediocre Christian relationship. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to be mediocre. And so when I was, I was preparing for this, one of the things that, that the Lord spoke to me was this. He says, as believers, we should be the most disciplined people that people know. Why? Look what Colossians says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Only what you do on Sunday. Isn't that what it says? You know? That's how some of us live it, right? We're only really serious about the Lord on Sunday or when we're in life group or when we're in Bible study or when we're... No, he says, whatever you do, We'll work at it with all of your heart. That's your emotional core. Because you're doing it who? 
unto the Lord. God is calling and, 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 and separating the spiritual wheat from the chaff right now. I believe we've had conversations with leaders. I had, I had a conversation with Pastor Swavik in Poland just this week. And we were talking about, he, he brought up names of people. And he says, you know, what do you think's happening with this situation? What do you think's happening with this situation? What do you think's happening with this situation? And I said, the Lord is separating the truth from the lie. And he's calling us as believers to live a life of, of dedication and commitment to him. I won't go through all of these verses, but if, you, if you have, you're taking notes, take notes of this or take a, pull out your camera. Look at what Proverbs says about laziness. Proverbs is a great, great book. And there's, there's, right now I have uh, s- seven passages from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24. Diligent hands will rule. How many of you want to rule? You know? I want, to rule. I, want you to rule. I want you to be the best in your business. I want you to be the best in your family. I want your kids to do the best in school. I want your, your family to be uh, blessed in everything you do. But it says, but laziness ends in forced labor. How many of you want to be in forced labor? I don't think any of us do, right? Look what Proverbs 12, 27 says. The lazy do not roast any game. You know what that means? That means on Wednesday night, you're not bringing anything to eat. That was a joke. Some of you could laugh, Okay. <laughs> We're roasting the game, by the way. Uh, we're bringing the protein. But he says, the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. That means that you will have a reward for your faithfulness. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 19. The way of the sluggard is blocked by thorns. How many of you like to walk through thorn bushes? Anyone? I don't think that's very pleasant. That may give uh, the, the medical community job security, but it doesn't give you a lot of peace. But the path of the righteous is a highway. You know what that means? You can go quickly and unobstructed. God wants to make a way for us when we're walking in his favor that he opens doors that other people don't have open for them because they're not walking in righteousness. Look what it says in Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 9. The one who is slack in his work is a brother of one who destroys. Wow, that's not very good, you know. Proverbs 19.24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. So basically, it's, you know, every time I read that, I think of the, you know, the, the, how, do you trap, how do they trap monkeys in the jungle? They put a jar with some fruit or a banana in the jar, and the monkey will stick his hand in the jar and grab it. And he's so obsessed with having that fruit that he won't unclench it. And then they come and they catch him because his hand is still holding and gripping that banana or that fruit. That's not what God's calling us to do. He doesn't want us to be ensnared in things. He wants us, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you what? Free. Look at Proverbs 21, 25. The cravings of the sluggard is the, is the, will be death to him. Ooh. Think about that. If you're lax in your faith, it will cause you to spiritually die. You will make decisions that will not help you to grow spiritually. You'll make decisions that are, well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really, it's, this is not that important. Proverbs twenty two thirteen. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public space. You know what that means? You become agoraphobic. You know what agoraphobia is? Afraid to be out with people. You're afraid to be around other people because they may find out the lifestyle that you're living. 
You know, why do some people not want to be in community? Because it exposes them. I mean, it's real easy if you don't know anything about me to think I'm perfect. How many of you think I'm perfect? Not one of you. <laughs> Praise God. You know what that means? We're in community. You know what? You're not perfect either. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to help you to grow in your understanding and your revelation of who you are in Christ. Because if you know who you are in Christ, it's going to change the way you behave. And that's what, that's what we're addressing. Some of these issues, the, the challenges that we have is that our lifestyle isn't consistent with Scripture. And when it's not, we fall short. So we're going to help you to become stronger. You know, it was interesting. A couple weeks ago on Monday, uh, my wife and I went over to Santa Cruz. And while we're walking around on East Cliff Drive, there was a, a gentleman there with a... Uh, a really nice, brand-new, white Jeep Renegade, tricked out. I mean, it had all the chrome on it and everything. And then he, was, he had on the side of it, he had a big QR code, and he had scripture that he'd written with those stick-on, sticky label things all over the side, like, uh, click on my thing to donate money for gas. Jesus loves you. <laughs> I thought, dude, you have a $65,000 SUV, and you're asking other people to give you money to put gas in your tank so you could not work and go around and share the gospel. I don't know about you, but I don't know what your Bible says. My Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, you don't get gas. And a lot of times there are people that are Christians that are looking for some sort of handout that want it, they want everything given to them, but they don't want to deep, deepen themselves in the things of Scripture. And I want to challenge us that we are called to be people who dedicate ourselves to the Lord. You know, it's interesting because when you read through Scripture, you go all the way back into the, even into the, the, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments talk about not being lazy. Do you know that? They, you know, we have the list of the do's and don'ts. And if you go out on the wall out here, out, out on the outside in the foyer, on the left-hand side, we, we, I found over at Hobby Lobby... I do shop at Hobby Lobby every once in a while. But I found the Ten Commandments in terms that children can understand. And that's important because our children need to not just know what we believe, but they need to know what they believe. And one of the Ten Commandments, listen to this. This is out of Exodus chapter 10, verse 8 through 11. It says, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. This is talking about not being lazy in your spiritual development. That a lot of times... I've, I've heard over and over people, well, you know, Sunday is my day. It's my day to relax. Remember the Sabbath and keeping it holy. That means set apart to God. You know, people complain they have to work on the weekends. I've worked on the weekends for 40 years. You know? Everyone says, oh, Sunday's your day to do what you want. No, it's the day that you dedicate to the Lord. It's a tithe. It's a tithe of your time. And it says, look at verse 9. It says, in six days you shall labor and do your work. How many of you work at least six days a week? Mark Perry works seven to eight days a week, don't you, Mark? You know? But the seventh day is a Sabbath. Now, what is a Sabbath? The Sabbath is a spiritual time of rest. It's a time of dedication to God to remember his goodness and faithfulness to you so that you could honor him in everything that you do. And it says, and the Sabbath 
is, belongs to the Lord your God. So on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or your daughters, nor your male or your female servants, nor your animals, nor your foreigners, foreigners residing in your town. For the sixth day the Lord has made the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Let me tell you something about the practicality of honoring the Lord on the Sabbath. You are not designed to go 24-7, 365. That's not the way we're made. Our physiology needs time to rest and reflect. And part of coming to service is being nurtured spiritually. Now, I probably shouldn't be telling you guys this because you're all here. Those of you who are watching online that are being, you're staying home, you're not fellowshipping, you need to be plugged in. Because there's something about dedicating yourself to the Lord in community when you see one another and you say, Hey, Haley, how you doing? Is everything going well? Hey, Jeff, are you doing good this week? You having a good week? You know, Quinn, are you doing good? Is your wife treating you well? Good. Oh, well, that doesn't matter. Okay. We want to be with each other. We want to encourage each other. We want to strengthen each other in the things of the Spirit. And when we come together, we come together as community, but the common denominator is not us. It's Him. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. And we want you to be strong in the things of the Lord because something happens when we gather together in community. And, 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 there's, and one of the things that I've, I've noticed over the years is there's a theological sloth taught by pastors even. Oh, that you don't have to come to church. But what is Church. Church is actually, it's interesting because we think church is this, this, this highly spiritual term. Actually, the word in the original language is ekklesia. It's a Greek word, and it was a word that referred to the gathering of people together to change the cultural environment around them. Hmm. Not necessarily a spiritual word, but the New Testament writers refer to the church as we're people who gather together so we could change the environment around us. You know what that means? You come to church so when you go to work on Monday, you can change the culture of your work environment because you have the presence of the Lord. Have you ever gone into a room that maybe there's been an aroma or a smell? Maybe you've, you've gone someplace and it, there's been smoke. Or you're going, maybe you're going to like a, a camping area and you get smoke on your clothes or you go into a restaurant and, you know, California doesn't have this anymore in most places, but, you, get, you know, maybe someone's smoking. And you get that in the fibers of who you, you're, you're, what you're wearing. And then you walk into a, someplace that someone hasn't been with you and they're like, what is that stench? What is that smell? You've been, you been by a campfire or something? What is that? I, I smell something on you. Let me tell you, people sense spiritual intensity when you walk into a room. We, we are living in a culture right now that is so hyper-spiritually sensitive in, in, in the negative, we need to be people that bring even greater spiritual intensity on the positive. Do you hear me? And that's what happens when we gather together. Iron sharpens iron. We're building each other up so that we could grow in the faith. And as we grow in the faith, what we're doing is we're maturing in who we are in Christ. That's why it's important for us not to be lax in our faith. You know, Paul, Paul, I love the Apostle Paul because he had such a concern for the church that he wrote letters to them. And one of the letters that he wrote was the book of Thessalonians. And in 2 Thessalonians, what had happened was Paul wrote a letter because someone drafted a letter in Paul's name and sent it to the church of Thessalonia that told them that the second coming of the Lord had already happened. 
So they're like, wow, you know, we, we missed it. And their lifestyle became a little bit lax. And as a result of their lax lifestyle, Paul had to write a letter to them to address it and say, this is what's going on. So look what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 7 and going through verse 12. For you yourself know how you ought to follow our example. Okay, what's Paul doing? He's talking as a papa of the faith. I don't know about you when you talk to your kids, but when our kids were little, you commanded them how to live, right? But as they got older, you communicated with them. And now as they're adults, how do you address them? Well, you know how we used to live. This is, you know, you yourself know how you ought to live. Like our children, we don't go to them and say, you will do this now. We tell them, hey, you guys were raised better. You know better than that. You know? And that's what Paul's doing as a spiritual father in the faith to them, saying, hey, this is how you should behave. I raised you better than that. And he says that you're not living the way you should be living. So as your spiritual father, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and give you a good spiritual kick in the, in the behind and tell you this is how you should live. He says, follow our example. The problem with too many believers, the problem with too many pastors is they're examples that you shouldn't follow. You should follow me as I follow Christ. And if I'm not following Christ, there's something wrong with me and you shouldn't be following me. And so Paul says, I'm following Jesus the way he taught me, so you better be following me the way I taught you. You were not idle when we were with you. See, it's really interesting. People can be really spiritual when they're with you. <laughs> but what about when they're not with you? You know, it's like every parent's nightmare when your kids are home alone for the weekend. Right? Because you don't know what they're going to be doing. And t let me tell you, as someone that used to do that, my mama knew nothing about me. It's under the blood. It's under the blood. My wife's looking at me. Don't even go there. But look what he says. Nor do we eat anyone's food without paying for it. You know what that's talking about? Being lazy. Taking advantage of your brother or sister. On the contrary, we work night and day laboring and toiling so that we would not be a, hard, a burden to any of you. We did this not because... We do not have the right to such help. So Paul's saying, hey, I have every right as your spiritual parent to ask something of you, but I'm not going to take advantage of that. But in order to make ourselves a model to you follow, what is a model for you to follow? You know, a model is something you copy because it's a good quality. And a model is something that you want to have a replica of because you know that it works. Paul's saying the model I'm setting for you is a model of not being lazy, not being spiritually inconsistent, but being consistent in your faith in such a way that's going to help you to grow. And then he says this in verse 10, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not eat, he shall, er, yeah, a man will not eat, he'll certainly not work. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. But they are busy bodies. I love how Paul used plays on words, you know. Such people we command and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. What Paul is doing is he's addressing spiritual lack. And biblically speaking, laziness comes from a carelessness for the things of God. 
And Paul is challenging the, the church, the early church. And I want to challenge you. Don't be lax in your spiritual faith. Don't be lax in someone that is not going to be a good example. You know, because Paul says later, he says in, in 1 Timothy 5.8, that a person that's lazy is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that's a pretty harsh statement, isn't it? And he's basically saying that if, if you're not going to be faithful, you're actually living like a person that doesn't even have a relationship with Christ. And I don't know about you, but I, w- I want to be an example. I want to be an example to your children. I want to be an example to you. I want you to be an example to your children. I want people, when they come together, they say, hey, I want to follow the Lord the way people at Crossroads do. You know? I want to be a person that is consistent in my faith no matter where I go. doesn't matter if I'm, I'm, I'm here in the office, I'm here with kids, I'm doing a ride-along with the police department, if I'm walking in Home Depot. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. People want to see consistency. And I want to challenge us to be men and women who are the same, dedicating ourselves to the Lord no matter where we're at, whether it's in this building or whether we're outside doing the work of the ministry. Well, pastor, I'm, I'm not a pastor. Oh, yes, you are. You just don't know the congregation is watching you. You are the pastor of people that don't come to church yet. You are the pastor of people that are looking at your life to say, really, is there Christianity real? Do, you, do they really believe that, or is, just, is that like a facade? Is that just something fake up in front because they're, they're trying to prove something, that they're, they're better than me? Or are they consistent everywhere they go? You know, I tell you, the world is looking for consistency. The world's looking for people that are the same. And one of the things that God wants, God wants us to be people that are true examples. Listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, said in James chapter 1, verse 27. He says, pure religion is this. See, there's, there's unpure religion, and, and actually, the word religion, a lot of times when we read that in Scripture, we say, well, we're not religious, we're a relationship. But pure religion is this. The truth is, if you have a true relationship with a living God, it will translate itself into how you behave. It'll, it'll, it'll affect and impact your decisions and your choices and how you live. And he says this. He says, this is what true religion is. That the religion that our God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows. You know what? That's taking care of those that don't have things that you can provide for. And he says that, that, that are in distress and keeping oneself, ooh, wow. You know, we could do a good part. It's, it's easy to do the front part. But what about keeping yourself unpolluted from the things of the world? You know, my wife and I have conversations so many times about how the philosophies of this world want to take things that are pure and taint them so they're considered unpure and to take things that are unpure and teach our culture that they're pure. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah was an example of that. You go through our culture today, you know, it's, it's, and, and we have to be the example to people that living as a follower of Christ is a good thing that we're consistent in our life, that we love people even if they're entrenched in all kind of sin and immorality, we still love them because Christ loved them and we honor them and respect them, but we don't align ourselves with them. You see, there's a difference between the two. I can love a person that is involved in sin but not love their sin because I know what their sin is going to do to them. It's going to kill them. It's going to destroy them. 
You know, my wife and I, I told you last week or a couple weeks ago that we like crime shows. We were watching a crime show about that, that guy on the East Coast in New Jersey that had murdered 10 people. And the 10 people that he murdered were all involved in, in, in uh, they were escorts in, in prostitution. And the common denominator was that sin destroyed these people's lives. And the person that did it was an evil person. But their common denominator was because of sin that was involved in their life, it set them up into a place where they could be destroyed. And a lot of times people think, oh, my sin's not going to affect anyone. Let me tell you, sin always ends in death and destruction. And I want to challenge us as people of righteousness. What does righteousness mean? It's not some fancy old-fashioned word that means we can't have fun. Tell you, as believers, you should be the most joyous people in the world. But also you should be the purest people in the world. And when you come to church, it's not about just, oh, let me pat you on the back. You're so perfect. Everything about you is perfect. A lot of times it's like, hey, there's a, I, there's a little speck I, I see, and I want to help you to get that out of there. And I know I got a log in my eye, but there's a little speck in yours. I'm going to pull that out so you can see better to help me get this log out of my eye. That as we sharpen one another in our faith, we help each other to grow spiritually so that we can become perfect in Christ. Are any of you perfect? Not one of you? Perfectly imperfect. <laughs> or as I like to say, functionally dysfunctional. You know? We're all on a journey. And what the Lord wants us to do is to, to press into him. So how do we know if, if we're slothful? Because, you know, there's things in our life that can show us that we're slothful. One is this. If you need other people to consistently feed you spiritually, you got a problem. You know? I love this picture, you know. It's a difference between you're feeding your babies than when your wife's feeding you, you know. When a child needs to be fed, it's because they can't handle the food. They, can't, they don't know where their mouth is. Their, their mouth is up here, you know. But as an adult, as a maturing person, you need to start feeding yourself. You know, I love this story in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, where it talks about the church of Berea. The church of Berea loved to study Scripture, and they were commended because they studied Scripture to see if what Paul said was right. You know, last Sunday, Pastor Lynn, can you believe my, my perfect wife had a text that was wrong? I don't know who, who said it, but someone said, Pastor Lynn, that, ver that passage was wrong. Is Michelle Davis. <laughs> and it's not Communion Sunday, so we're not going to deal with that. <laughs> Michelle, she's throwing you under the bus. But you know what she said? This is what she told me at home, Michelle, so you know. She said, I am so glad she told me that because if I have a wrong scripture up there, at least I know someone was in their Bible and pointed it out and saw it. Because one of the things that we want to do is we want you to be people of the word. Don't believe it just because we said it. You be like Berea and you get into the word and you study it and say, is that really what the Bible says? Because, you know, there's a lot of people that have been duped by pastors. And I tell you, there's a lot of people out there that use the term pastor that are really, it should be pester, you know, because they're not in the word and the word's not in them. And we want you to be people who are in the word and not to be pablid and fed with baby spoons, you know. We want you to be people of the word of God, not just the milk, but the meat of the word, 
you know? And why do we want you to be in the Word? Because John said this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. And who is the Word? Jesus is the Word. So the more you're in the Word of God, the more you're going to understand who Jesus is. Well, some people say, well, Pastor, I don't, rem I don't remember everything I read. Would you remember everything you eat? Four Thursdays ago, what did you have for lunch? A salad. <laughs> Shame on you. You should have had some meat, okay? <laughs> but what you ate still nourished you. And the truth is, is when you're in the Word of God, there is a spiritual component of God's Word that will nourish you and strengthen you if you allow it to. By exposure, you're being deepened in your understanding of it. And the more you spend time in it and the more you start, you know, I have Rebecca. Can I pick on all the way in the back seat, Rebecca? She'll send me 2 o'clock in the morning, you'll send me a note. I've been reading Scripture, and I don't understand this. What does this mean? And what does this mean? And this mean? And this And she sends me this whole, like, diatribe of questions. I love that. Because you know what that says? She's in the Word. And if you have a question you don't understand, ask someone who understands it or someone that maybe have a little bit more understanding of it. Write to my wife. Deepen yourself in the understanding of God's Word. Second thing is, if your worship's stale or flat or non-existent, that tells me more about you. That tells me more about you than it does about the worship. You know? It, amen, Pastor Rebecca. I get $5 for that one, right? You see, we come to church... Not like the, I almost put uh, Mr. Bean up here. He had a, a picture of Mr. Bean where he's in church. He's like, oh, you know. But our church services are not about us coming to amp you up. You should be worshiping all week long. And when you come together, you're just worshiping even more. Well, I don't like the style of worship. Well, you worship on your own and come together because I, I hate to tell you this, but worship's not about you. Worship is about Him. There's certain songs I don't like, but I still worship. There's certain styles of music I may not like, but I'm still going to worship because it's about Jesus. And if He says, if you be lifted up, all mankind will come to you, right? No, He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all mankind unto me. Our praise is a dedication to Him, not about making us feel good. You know, if, if the worship style of the church you don't like, then you worship all week long so you could put up with what we do here on Sunday to worship him. And if you're offended by that, that means you've got some pride issues that need to be crucified. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. You know, third thing, you're always the victim and you're never the overcomer. You know, we live in a culture that glorifies victimization. We live in a culture that glorifies someone with a problem that they have to have that they can't overcome because it's their cross to bear and you have to bear it for them. The truth is this. You can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. And if you're not being strengthened in able to overcome something, maybe you need a sozo. 
Maybe you need someone to gather around with you and, and pray with you and have, help you to have a spiritual breakthrough. Sure, bad things happen to us. You know, I was telling you about that crime show and that crime show of the person, and we were watching, and it got to the point where they started talking about the perpetrator of the crimes, and they're saying how, well, his father spanked him a lot when he was a child. And he, he came from a rough household, and, and my wife and I were like, are they trying to justify this guy's lifestyle? I mean, I got beat by the next-door neighbor's caddy nine-tail. I'd have to go knock on the front door and get it and get whipped by it and then take it home crying so all the kids in the neighborhood. I'm not a serial killer, at least not that you know of. <laughs> The truth is, <laughs> I'm going to pay for that when I know it. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I am not a serial killer. The only thing I want to slay is the devil and his works. But if you're always the victim, you're not living the life that Christ died for you to have. He says this. I love what Scripture says. Got to get back to Scripture. We are sometimes conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. We are more than conquerors. That means not only are you a conqueror, but you are able to overcome those things. Sure, do terrible things happen to us? Yes. Do violent things happen to us? Yes. But you don't have to live under the victimization of that. You can give that to the Lord, and the Lord does this amazing thing of always trading up, taking our sorrows and giving us joy. Turning our weeping into celebration. Why? Because we see the glorious things that God has done. He's taken pain and suffering, and he says, you know what? I'm going to put an end to that. Sure, you may have a scar, but that scar is going to be something that allows you to lead other people into healing and deliverance, if you allow it. But if you keep living under that victimization, you're never going to overcome. Another thing is, I've only got 15, don't worry. You're only an overcomer when things are going good. What about when things are going bad? You know, my wife and I had a conversation just this week about when difficult things happen, what does it do? It either pushes us closer to the Lord or pushes us away. And it's a choice that you and I make. And God wants you to be drawn closer to him. That's why he says, cast your cares upon me. Why? Because I care for you. Look what it says in, the, in the, the book of Proverbs. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. A lot of times, God allows situations, and I don't know why he allows them, but I know this. If we trust him and we put them into his hands, he draws things out into us. I don't know what your Bible says. My Bible says this. And all things work to good together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Even bad things, yes. Even things that people say that should destroy you, yes. You know why? Because our God can take the things of this world that are meant to kill evil and destroy us and turn them around and use them as things that make us stronger in him. When I was widowed, when I was 29 years old, I remember sitting in my living room with a pastor, and he looked at me and he says, David, this could either destroy you or make you stronger. And I made a resolve at that point that I will do everything in my power to destroy the works of the enemy. And I am not going to turn back from that. And I want to challenge you, don't turn back from that either. God wants to use your life, even the pain in your life. This is what's amazing. The cross 
was meant to be a defeating tool in Satan's arsenal against the believer, and it turned around to be the very thing that overcame him. And Christ triumphed over him, what? Through the power of what? Through the cross, and made a public spectacle of him, and, and marched him behind it, saying, look, the very thing that God or the enemy wanted to use to destroy your life, God's going to use to make you powerful. And the very thing that you've gone through that you've been challenged with, the difficulties you've gone through, are the very thing that God wants to turn around and say, look, if God can do it for me, he could do it for you. Final thing, worship team, come on up. You're always telling God and other people, but. I've got to be careful how I say this, because when I was looking over my notes, I thought I could get myself in trouble on this one. The truth is this. If you're always telling God and other people when they're trying to encourage you in the faith, but this and but that, you got a problem. Because you're not looking for someone to help you to overcome. You're looking for someone to help you to victimize yourself. And the truth is this. We have all gone through things that jacked us up. But we've all got one common denominator. That he who is greater than anything, that every power and every principality shall bow before him, is on your side. And when you walk in your relationship with Christ, you don't have to say, but, but you don't understand, but my family this. Hey, my family was more jacked up than your family. Your family may be jacked up, but my family's jacked up too. You know why? Because all of us are. We're functionally dysfunctional. And the truth is, if you're in Christ... You're more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer through him. You triumph over all things because of the blood of the lamb that has set us free. And the difficulties that you and I face, if we will bring them to the Lord and say, Lord, these are my cares, I'm going to cast them to you. No, casting is like taking them and doing this. It's not keeping it close by, not just throwing it a little bit so you could reach out and grab it again. Casting it is throwing it so far that you can't reach it by yourself. And you need to cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And when you do that, you're going to overcome. And the good news is this. You're not alone in this. I've gone through it. The person sitting next to you has gone through it. The person sitting behind you has gone through it. But collectively, we can encourage one another and strengthen one another and push each other towards what the Lord wants so that like we're in Thessalonia, the Thessalonians, it's like Paul says, hey, mark this word down. You are not to be lazy in your faith. You're to grow deep in your faith. And you do that how? One step at a time. One, Lord... You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set on my phone to read the scripture every day. I, I have to drive to work, so I'm going to do what Mike Cameron does. I love what Mike told me. How many times do you go through the Bible every year when you were working? Uh, probably three or four. Three or four times by just putting on his Bible app while he's driving. Instead of listening to something you're not going to remember, put on the Bible app and let your, 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 your car become a sanctuary. Let your vehicle become a sanctuary so the word can reverberate through the of your head and you'll be able to hear the word of God powerfully so Lord right now we just come before you Lord we ask that you would help us as men and women to grow strong in our faith I pray that Lord that we would be the men and women 
who make a decision today to follow you. Like the scripture says, as for me and my house, we choose to follow you. So Lord, I ask and pray, Father, that you would help us if there's areas in our life that we've become lax in. Maybe it's in our prayer time. Maybe it's in our Bible study time. Maybe it's in our fellowship with other believers time. Maybe it's just in carving out time for ourselves to be in the Word. God, I pray that this message would not be a message of condemnation because we understand that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. But Lord, that it would be a catalyst, a catapult, as Pastor Lynn said, that would launch us to a deeper understanding and a deeper dimension of who we are in Christ. And I pray, Father, that the enemy's plans to derail us and to sidetrack us would be thwarted and that you, O oh God, would do a great work in our life. Lord, you're raising up men and women, young men, young women, older men, older women, people that have been in the church for a long time, that you're raising us up to be stronger in our faith than we've ever been. And Lord, right now, we just crucify the spirit of laziness, the spirit of slothfulness, the spirit of compromise, that, God, we would be men and women who ha are, have a strong and a firm conviction of who you are, what your word says, and what your word says about us, and that we would live that out every single day of our life. Lord, today is a day we draw a line in the sand and say no more compromise, no more being lazy in our faith. But, Lord, we're going to dedicate ourselves like Paul, and we're going to say, you follow me as I follow Christ. As parents, those of us that are parents, we're going to challenge our, our lifestyle so that our children will look at us and say, I want to serve the Lord the way my mom or dad does. Those of us that are grandparents, I want to challenge us to say, I want my grandchildren and my children to follow Christ like I'm following Christ. Lord, I want us that are the only believer in our family to be an example that our brothers and sisters would look at and say, I don't know what it is about you and your relationship with God, but I want that. And Lord, we would not compromise. I pray for those of us that, Lord, we've been praying for our neighbors or our co-workers, and we would be so consistent in our love for them and our dedication to you that you will draw them to you, God, so that they would say, I don't know what it is, but I, I need to talk with you. And as they begin to open their mouth and speak, that your Holy Spirit would just speak to us because we've saturated ourselves in the Word. And the word would become alive in our minds and our, our thoughts. And our, our speech would be words of life. That we would proclaim the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we would speak life into people that are dead spiritually. And we would help them to unlock who they are in Christ. And we'd help them to unlock their understanding of forgiveness and grace and restoration to God. And that, Lord, we would not be ashamed of the gospel because we know it is the power of God unto salvation to those that believe. So, Lord, I just pray a blessing upon us as your sons and daughters. Lord, may we walk in a newfound understanding and revelation of what you want us to do. And, Lord, we just surrender ourselves to you this morning. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Stand with us as Pastor Rebecca and the team leads us in worship of the Lord. So I wait for you.
step out in boldness with your families. You are, you are living lackadaisical with your family because you're not being bold in your faith. Fearful of rejection. Fearful of what they may say about you. Intimidated. But I'm going to tell you this. is something that the Lord says strongly. Heaven for you will not feel like heaven if they're not there. I'm, I'm being real. I know that's the way I feel about my children. I said, you know what, Lord? You, all I ask is that my children serve you. I don't want, I don't care what happens to get their attention. I'm, be, I'm being straight up. And some of us, we run interference. I don't want this to happen. You know what? The most important thing for your child for your relative, for your family member, for your best friend, you put in the blank there, that person you care about is that they know him. But you're not being bold. You're not being bold. You're stepping back, you're doing the sloth thing. Tomorrow I'll say something. It's just not right, it's, a, it's just not, you know, it's just not the right, And the Lord is saying, when is the right time? When it's too late? When you stand at their funeral and you say, I wished I would have? When is the right time? Some people say, is Jesus coming? Look at all the stuff. You know what? Jesus is coming. When is the right time? When is the right time for you to be bold? When is the right time for you to open up your mouth? When is the right time for you to tell them, love them so much, love them so much that you say, you know what? I love you so much. I need 
need to say this to you. Do you know Jesus? I care about where you're going to end up. Come on, people. See, we get on the physical, you know, go have fun. Go have fun. God loves fun. But you know what? The best fun is when he's in the middle of it. So, Pastor David, I want the team after you're done praying. I want, and if other prayer teams, maybe Angie and Mike come down here. The way we're going to end today, because I know that you need to go. Some of you need to go. You need to. But the way that we're going to end today, because this is serious business. Sometimes we don't. In this moment right now, we may not think it's all that serious. But you know what? It'll be serious in a moment later. But hopefully it's not too late. The word comes to you for a reason. You're here for a reason. This word that the Holy Spirit is saying through me is not just filler time. It is a word to you right now because the Lord knows the future. He knows how things are going to go. So he sends his word to prepare you so that you will act on it. I'm uncomfortable about that. Uh, who cares? The best thing that you'll ever do is speak a word that may have a lot of warfare around it. And what I mean by warfare is that the enemy does not want you to say it. Because if you say it, they may receive it. But if he can shut you up, then they never hear the word. So we're going to pray for those of you that hear this word and you know, you know what? I need an increase of Holy Spirit boldness in my life. That I am not afraid of man. That I don't react to humans uh, rejecting me. That I don't go away offended. That I'm not fearful of that. That I don't talk myself out of it. That I don't let the atmosphere dictate to me. You need to come down. I want you just to get anointed and prayed for. Because this is the time. You can dismiss things that are going on. You can dismiss the signs of the times all you want. But I'm telling you, we look at the signs. And Jesus said, when these start things happen, you know I'm coming back. I'm telling you, people of God, arise. 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 And say, I will be bold for you because of love for people because I care about them because I want them to know Jesus so if you need that prayer I want you to come up and get prayed for by our prayer teams I'm going to pray and dismiss you Lord you're speaking to crossroads you're speaking to this house and we will not be deaf to your word when you knock on our door, we open it. We open it and say, come on in, 
Jesus. You do the spring clean and you do. You go where you need to go in my life to release a greater level of power and authority. I will not be a sloth. I will not ignore. I will not be filled with the things of this world. I will be filled with you. I will say yes. I will not say but. Like Pastor David said, but this, but that. I will say yes to you. I will do even though, Lord, I may not know how it's going to go. Even though it may feel intimidating to me. Even though I may say, may, may want to shrink back. I know you will not be pleased if I shrink back. So I will move forward because I know you are with me. Lord, I pray, Father, for the families in this house. I pray, Father, for our extended family. I pray for our children, our grandchildren, our family members, our neighbors. Lord, I pray for all the people that we are in relationship with, those who do not know you, those who are nominal Christians. They think that they know you. They have a form of godliness, but they lack true relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we would see these people our mission field, that these are people that we are to speak your love to, your truth to, to extend your hand to them, that they are wanted by you, that you desire them, Lord, that we would see with your eyes that you are drawing them to yourself, that we would not ignore them, that we would not excuse ourselves, that we we can't do it for you. Yes, we can. Yes, we can through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray as we go today, we would see that we have an assignment. We have an assignment, Lord, an assignment empowered by you in your name. Amen. God bless you as you go. Those of you that need prayer, come on down.